This episode is brought to you by Save Our Babies, a conversation about suicide and mental health for children of color. Did you know African-American children are taking their lives at roughly twice the rate of their white counterparts? And every five days, a child under the age of 13 dies by suicide, as well as Latina teens currently have the highest rate of suicide attempts among all adolescent groups in the U.S. As a suicide survivor and as a person who has lost my younger cousin to suicide, he would be turning 18 this year. I am really passionate about saving our children of color from suicide. So Fireflies Unite has partnered with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Prince George's County chapter, to raise awareness for suicide for black and latino children by hosting our very first event on july 21st the event will provide a panel and a safe space for mental health professionals and advocates and there will even be a mom there to talk about her losing her son to suicide this is a place for parents and anyone who works with children to come and learn to how to identify the signs of suicide and mental illness in children. The event will take place again on July 21st in Bowie, Maryland, and a portion of the ticket proceeds will be donated to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Prince George's County Chapter. For tickets and more information, head over to www.saveourbabies.eventcreate.com. Again, for tickets and more information, head over to www.saveourbabies.eventcreate.com. Let's start the show. Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Welcome Fireflies to another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast with me, Kia where our mission is to bring light into darkness, just like the fireflies. Happy, happy Monday. And as always, y'all know I am excited to bring another episode to you. Today, we are really going to dive into something that some might call it juicy because the topic is something that we've actually never talked about on the podcast, but it needs to be addressed. When people typically refer to addictions, they usually talk about drugs and alcohol. But what you may not know, there are also other addictions that people battle or that don't get as much attention, such as gambling and sex addictions. Today, we're going to talk about sex addiction, addictive relationships, and codependency. Now, let's be clear. Sex addiction and addictive relationships are very real and they must be treated. And so here are some things that I really want you to keep in mind that I was able to pull from a study that I believe happened about four years ago. It's very common among people who have bipolar disorder to engage in high-risk sexual activities during their manic states. And also victims of childhood 
sexual abuse, they often repeat patterns of abuse in a subconscious attempt to try to really gain control over their childhood trauma. And even with people with borderline personality disorder that we actually really, we really haven't dived into borderline personality, also known as BPD, which I'm working on getting um, some content so we can actually talk about that disorder. And so people with this particular disorder, they sometimes engage in unsafe sexual activities as a general pattern of self um, injurious behavior. And there's actually 70% of internet pornographic traffic actually occurs during the work day, nine to five. And 80% of women who have a husband or a partner that has been diagnosed with a sex addiction uh, suffer from depression. And like I said, the stats that I share with you are from about four years ago, but I thought it was really necessary for us to look at this to understand that it is considered a disorder or some call it a brain disease. And so you may like think a sex addiction like, oh, it's that that seems like fun or, you know, people are just having a high sex drive, but actually having a high sex drive and a sexual sex addiction are completely different. And so our guest, Miss Sheena Tubbs, is actually going to help us get into that. Sheena Tubbs, she's a licensed professional counselor with years of training in marriage and family therapy. She actually specializes in sex and love addictions, and she works with those who want to leave codependency behind and or learn how to engage in really healthy relationships. With her training in marriage and family therapy, she is the best fit, the ideal fit for those wanting to really improve their romantic relationships. Sheena, she's also the creator and host of the Love Junkie podcast, and it's a podcast dedicated for those struggling with love and sex addiction, addictive relationships, codependency, and trauma. And so Fireflies... Let's welcome Sheena to the podcast. Thank you, Sheena, for joining me on the podcast. I am excited to have you here today because you will provide a different angle than we've had on the podcast as it pertains to mental health. We've never talked about addictive relationships, sex addiction, and codependency. So how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm honored to be here. I'm excited to get into this juicy conversation. So let's jump straight in. So what is sex addiction and what are the signs that someone uh, may be battling with this addiction? And also, what's the difference when someone may just be having sex to release stress versus actually being addicted? Yeah, so just right off the back, one of the biggest misconceptions about sex addiction is that it's synonymous for having a high libido um, or even for having a lot of sexual partners. And so it is not pathological. It is not unhealthy to have a high sex drive. That is perfectly okay. What makes sex addiction harmful to people is the lack of opportunity for choice, the inability to stop when you want to, 
and then putting yourself in dangerous situations. And so it might look like someone who has repetitive one-night stands with strangers, even strangers that he or she does not want to sleep with because they're trying to fulfill some inner need. Being with people who are dangerous to them in dangerous situations and continuing to do so afterwards. There's always a sense of shame after the sexual act or even just the high of being with someone um, when when you have sex with someone, it's supposed to be a relief, a release, like you're saying. And it's supposed to be, well, for some people. For some people, really, it's just because they need just get it out their system. And for some people, it's about intimacy and connection. But with sex addiction, it's really about the compulsion. With anything in our lives, anything, well, do I want to say that? I want to say that almost anything can become an addiction. It's, it's how we use it and if, if that thing starts to hurt us, whether it's food whether it is um, working, whether it's even exercising. If we're using it to solve a, an attachment wound or inner need and it's hurting us, then we might need to stop and pause and look at it. Yeah, that's good. And you mentioned about, you know, with people thinking sex addiction being a person that's hyper, you know, sexual, um, but that's not what it is. And so I think you know, it makes me think about, so what are some of the myths about sex addiction in addition to that one that you would like to clear up and educate people on? Yeah, so I think um, that whether or not it's a, a high sex drive, I also would like to say whether or not it's something that you can stop by yourself and just white knuckle it. And I say that for two reasons. I say that for people who um, come from a religious background, and so they might try to use a lot of prayer and go into your pastor, and they get back into this really, this shame cycle where with them and their higher power, be it God or um, or any other um, higher power, they would be like, well, if I had enough faith, if I was just good enough, if I was this, then I would be able to stop. And it doesn't work that way because it's connected to something from your past, a, a childhood trauma usually um, that you haven't looked at or haven't been able to resolve yet. And so I would say it's not about white-knuckling it and doing it alone because at its core, sex addiction and also love addiction, which I know we'll talk about as well, are intimacy disorders. They're about not being able to connect to yourself and to connect to other people. And so you use um, the veil of sexuality or with love addiction, you use the fantasy of the relationship of this person being your ideal partner to try to build this connection. But you're really not connecting to that person and you're not really connecting within the sexual act. So you're really left feeling unfulfilled in that way. And also it's an inability to be intimate and vulnerable with yourself. And so it's not only kind of projecting what you want to, this relationship to see and what you want it to look like and what you want it to be. It's also projecting what you want other people to see of you. And so what happens a lot of times, um, especially in love addiction, is um, kind of bending and twisting to be who you want or who you think this partner wants you to be. So um, I used to make the joke all the time because part of the reason that I got into this field is through my own recovery journey, But I would, um, which I guess is not a joke because it's things that actually happen. If I would meet someone who loved camping and I am a city girl and I hate camping, all of a sudden I would be thinking, hmm, can I go and get some tents and can I be in the forest and can I just completely lose my values mm-hmm. and um, what I want because, I need this person. I need this act to make me feel better. And I think about, actually, you know what, even talking about the science behind addiction as, you know, it is or people consider it to be a brain disease or a mental illness, um, it's not easy to for people to stop. Like, people just may be like, oh, 
well, just stop having sex. But if it was that easy, you know, a person would not do it. And so can you talk about even like the chemicals that are released in um, a person's brain that make it really hard for them to give up an addictive behavior? And, you know, why is the constant release of those chemicals damaging to one's mental health? Yeah, so with the addictions that I work with, specifically sex and love addiction, when it's related to childhood trauma, these, the fantasy and the behaviors are all related to self-soothing and and, and unmet needs. So if I'm feeling sad or dejected or depressed at home, then I look for something outside of myself to make me feel better. And so to connect that to your question, whatever it might be, whether it be porn, whether it be the high of these relationships, whether um, there's a lot of intersection between food addiction as well and over shopping and all that, giving out dopamine and um, other um, of those good feeling chemicals that make us feel safe and make us feel happy because otherwise we um, do not feel happy. And so we create a dependence on that because we don't know how to get it ourselves because also it's not just the the neurochemical effects, it's also our nervous system in general. And so whenever we feel triggered and feel trauma, um, our nervous system kind of takes over and we go into fight or flight mode. And so a lot of times our addictions and our addictive behavior, uh, because all unhealthy behaviors are not addictions, right? But there are things that we do to try to, I keep saying self-soothe, but I think that's my favorite phrase, to (laughs) Um, self-soothe, to kind of um, get away and flee from the negative triggers. And so we learn over time and we train our bodies and we train our minds that we feel pain, that we need this act, this thing, this chemical, if it's a drug addiction, to help us feel better because nothing else gives that to us. So it really is, when I talk about the recovery for these things, you really literally go through a withdrawal process. You go through all the pain that you've been self-medicating over time um, when you don't have that thing to mask it. Um, And it really is the pain of these traumas and things that haven't been addressed before. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, I wanted to just backtrack a bit because talking about fight or flight mode. So for people who are listening and they don't know what that is, can you actually dive into fight or flight mode for a bit? Yeah. So anytime we are in danger, if you think about, let's just go with the caveman example. If, if with, with cavemen, if there is like a saber-toothed tiger coming at, at a caveman, then they would either want to run or they would want to freeze or they would want to um, fight. Um, to defend themselves. And that is common in every living thing. You even see that with Venus flytraps, right? Like they will try to get their food. They will try to protect themselves. Every living thing has this um, has this response. And so as we um, are now civilized human beings, we aren't necessarily in danger with animals, but our bodies still respond to the danger of emotional abuse or verbal abuse, or feeling rejected, or feeling abandoned. These create the same amount of stress and trauma in our systems as anything else. And so we naturally want to either fight against that to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. We want to run away from the thing that's making us feel that way, or we freeze and we kind of stay there and we accept it and we don't really know how to get away from it. A lot of times for us, freezing will also look like tapping out. So it'll look like sleeping a lot. It'll look like numbing out by watching a lot of TV and Netflix, um, a lot of video games, um, especially for men. Anything that makes us go numb 
is another form of us freezing. And so it's all just ways to protect ourselves from whatever thing, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, that's trying to hurt us. Yeah, you know, actually, so there was an instance where I remember it was my freshman year of college, and this this is when um, I had the sidekick. So anyone who is probably like in their mid-20s to maybe uh, early 30s will know what a sidekick is. And it was like the cell phone that you kind of flipped up and it was like really great for texting. And so I remember I was walking across the street and my friend, a car was coming, but I didn't see the car coming as I was crossing the street. And so I was about to get hit by the car. And my friend, the only thing that she could do was she couldn't do anything. She just yelled and screamed. And what I did when I looked up and I saw the car coming toward me, I just literally froze in the middle of the street. Like I couldn't, there was no, like some people may run, but literally my brain just like shut down and I just froze. I couldn't do anything. And so that makes me think about the instance of, you know, fight or flight or freeze when danger, you know, what your your body's um, or natural response to danger that's being presented to you. So it immediately made me think about that time because people were like, why didn't you run? And I was like, I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally your amygdala kicks in, which is in charge of the fight or flight mode. And I remember it's even been a, um, a growth area for me as a therapist. You know, this is what I do. And, you know, I'll be like, people will talk about their brain. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. okay, get to the, like, what do you do with it? Um, but it really is important to understand when your amygdala is in control and your body shuts off, you really can't do anything. Right, and there is a lot of shame that a lot of people have um, when they freeze, right, or if they run away because they feel like I should have done something else, I should have done something differently. But your body is doing what it's designed to do to try to help you survive in the best way that it thinks um, possible to do in that moment. Yeah. So now, you know, I'm glad you explained that, so people can actually understand that how your body's uh, natural response to take over. So it's not a matter of what you should or couldn't have done. It's your body's way of protecting you. And even just kind of switching gears a bit, when we think of um, addictive relationships and codependency, you know, some people may think that it's just people need to be around a particular person all the time or that they can't function without their partner. But you as a therapist, you know that it's much deeper than that. So if you can just dive into addictive relationships and just codependency and talking about what that is for people who may not understand what that is. So I'm going to kind of differentiate because sex addiction and love addiction are not synonymous. Um, A lot of times people will maybe use sex to get love, and I'll explain what um, love addiction is, Um, but I just want to explain why I'm going to say love addiction now instead of sex addiction. So love addiction is um, the constant pursuit of unavailable partners and in the attempt to try to get love or get personal fulfillment. And so unavailable partners can look like um, a lot of different things. It could look like someone who is emotionally unavailable and just detached, and you're trying to get him or her to engage with you. You're trying to fix them. You're trying to save them um, and try to get them to be the fantasy that you want them to be. It could be a person who's already in a committed relationship, and you have this fantasy that maybe. Um, this they will break up with this other person, they will choose you, they will, um, and again, kind of be like a white knight coming and down a ho- on a horse to make your life better. Um, on the flip side of that, it could also look like love avoidance, which also goes under the umbrella of love addiction, which is um, you want to be close to someone, but you don't want to be too close. And so 
this would be a person who might get into a series of relationships with people who are not available on purpose um, because they don't want to feel overwhelmed and they don't want to feel like they're losing their identity. And that's usually because they grew up in a, in a way where a parent or a caregiver wasn't available or maybe they were too um, enmeshing and too controlling and too overbearing to where they feel like intimacy and connection is is bad and it, it equals um, harm and it equals a loss of your psyche and your emotional space. So with love addiction and codependency, every love addict is codependent, but not every codependent is a love addict, uh, which means that as a love addict, if I'm in these relationships where I'm trying to change people and try to save them, I'm trying to get them to be something to me and I'm trying to change who I am for them, then that is codependent behavior. Um, codependence is when um, your well-being, your emotional health, your psyche, all of that is dependent on the actions or the inaction and the response and the non-response of a partner or a family member or a friend. And if that's not right, then you can't be right. And you have to save and you have to fix and you have to adjust with them as well. So just by its nature, love addiction is codependent. Um, but something about addictive relationships. I think another thing that people say about um, love addiction specifically is that um, it doesn't exist um, because if that's the case of what I'm describing is the case and everybody's a love addict because everyone's been in an unhealthy relationship, which, well, not everyone, most people have been in an unhealthy relationship, so they can relate to that. But when it's an addiction, remember, it's a pattern. So it's it's not like you have one unhealthy relationship and you it, it was really hard to get out of and you learned a lot and you might even still have feelings for him or her. It's every relationship you're in, it always ends in turmoil, it ends in distress, or you're still in it and you're not getting what you want and you try to settle um, that's a key concept of love addiction. Mm, wow. You immediately what came to my mind is I'm not sure if you heard this phrase, but like Captain Save a Ho. But <laughs> yeah. so it it did. It it like immediately that's what I was thinking about because how some people will get into relationships. And I remember like having conversations like this with my peers and they would say like how when, yeah, you can get a man and you can like, you know, change him and make or, uh, you know, a partner and change him and make him and mold them into the person that you want them to be. And like, but imagine someone constantly doing this with each uh, relationship that they're in. And so that uh, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, that would be a sign or, you know, a pattern that they may be addicted to or have addictive relationships. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. And specifically is... Um, like with all addictions, well, maybe not all addictions. I'll say I'll leave it specifically for sex and love. It's the thing that you're using to try to get to healing, um, which is the name of the addiction. So using sex to try to make me feel better, feel accomplished, and feel um, like I'm worthy as a human being. With love addiction or addictive relationships, is if I can get this person to love, if I can get them to choose me, then that would make me, that would prove that I'm valuable and I'm worthy and I'm good enough. But the trick is, or the, the trap is, is that by its nature, I've picked someone who's emotionally unavailable. I've picked someone who's not capable of giving me what I really want. And so I'm in this cycle where I never, ever get what I'm looking for. And I continue to get this self-filling prophecy where I'm not good enough and there's something wrong with me and I'm broken. And I stay there because I'm trying to fix it. Or, and or, I go to the next relationship. Or there's another aspect of this where I just... um 
it's kind of like the freeze mode, but in relationships, like I'm not dating anyone, I'm not doing anything, like I just kind of go dormant for a while, and then the next relationship I get in is the same one as before, because I never really worked on the root of why I'm doing this in the first place. Yeah, this is so good. I'm just this is a, a conversation that's very um, stimulating for me. I think partly because I have, you know, never struggled with any of these um, challenges, but I see people or pe- there were people in my family who were, they were addicted to substances and, you know, alcohol. And you see how, while they're di- um, addicted to different things, you see how there is a um, a correlation And that whether is, and I remember listening to an episode of your podcast, how you were saying that when someone is, for instance, let's say they're addicted to something, they no longer just do it sometimes because they're feeling, um, they're feeling bad. Like they also engaged in it when they're feeling happy, when they're experiencing an array of emotions, like they can still engage in this um, addictive uh, activity. So can you talk about that? Yeah, and that's um, connected right back to the nervous system. So the nervous system is kind of, um, if anyone can kind of picture in their mind, a sound wave. If you remember learning about sound waves in school where there's like different frequencies and there's a high and there's a low. So the sound wave has a threshold of what's too high and what's too low. And so if my emotions go anywhere outside of this threshold, whether it's really happy at the top or really sad and depressed at the bottom, my nervous system, because I've had trauma and I have, my body has learned to not tolerate too much so I can kind of be steady because of all the chaos and things that have, happening before, have happened before. Anytime I go outside this kind of neutral state because my body's not used to it, I need something to help me like self-soothe and regulate. This happiness is too much. So, or even kind of like to celebrate being happy, like I need something to balance it out. So whether it be um, the addiction or the relationship or whatever it might be, I need something to help me come down. And when I'm feeling low, I need this addictive thing to help me come up. Yeah, you know, yes. And I actually recently just finished reading the book, uh, Jennifer Lewis's book, The Mother of Black Hollywood. And she talks about how like when she would perform and she would be on this high when she was getting a standing ovation and she would need to constantly experience that high again. So like when her shows was over, like when her performances were over, she would go and she would like sleep with someone because she needed that to experience that again. And then even thinking about too, what I actually wanted you to to get into to talk about when well, actually, there's this is a two part question. So what has been one of the biggest or I want to say one of the biggest things or something that you've seen a lot in like in your line of work where someone being um, having being addicted to sex um, or in code um, or like codependency or like love addiction and them also battling with like a mental illness, whether it's like bipolar disorder or major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. Have you seen that there's been like someone experiencing this, but then on the flip side also battling with um, another mental diagnosis? Oh yeah, absolutely. Before I answer that real quick, what you said about Jennifer Lewis and her needing to get um, that high, I just want mm-hmm. to say about that. That's a that's a reason why a lot of times when uh, people are in a, a healthier relationship or they're doing, like, something that generally brings other people joy or used to bring them joy, they no longer feel fulfilled by it. Like, they feel like it's boring, like this relationship is boring or this isn't cool. And so they're kind of looking for extreme or accelerated response. So Jennifer Lewis um, needing to have 
a stadium or a room full of people applaud her. Um, it's better than someone just saying, wow, you did a great job. You know, like she needs it all. Um, it's kind of an example of why a healthy relationship is like, man, this dude needs to move around. Like he's too nice. It's like nothing is happening, right? This intensity, this passion isn't here, um, which is a sign of addiction. But as far as the co-occurring things, um, I see it often. I see, especially with sex addiction part, I work mostly with um, with women. And what I see a lot is borderline personality disorder or the symptoms of borderline personality disorder, which um, involves a lot of dysregulated moods, some self-harm behaviors, a lot of self-sabotage, uh, a history of chaotic relationships where you feel like you're constantly being abandoned by people and like they're not giving you enough feeling very victimized a lot. Um, there's a lot of difficulty taking responsibility. And so life with a lot of things, like I said before in this, in, the, in, the, in this episode, is using sex or relationships to kind of fill that need. Now with borderline, a lot of times people are misdiagnosed in that they're told that they have this personality disorder and really it's the effect of complex trauma. Like so much stuff has happened to you in your life to where like you just don't really know what to think and what to expect and how to have healthy relationships and how to see yourself. And the effects of that look a lot like borderline. So that's one thing. I also have seen OCD um, and kind of like you needing to have, and particularly that's with sex, um, like you needing to like do ritualized sexual behavior to help yourself feel better. But it's in the same category as OCD. It's that instead of you washing your hands, it could be you need to masturbate these many times a day or um, um, have these many sexual encounters. Um, I also, of course, see a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety in general because if I haven't said it, like, a hundred times already is <laughs> always related to like just hurts, just like hurts that are like stewing inside of us that have to get resolved for us to feel better. You know, the addiction is just a symptom. Um, you know, a lot of times when uh, people come to me, um, it's either one or two things. Either they have um, gotten out of or had this really bad breakup or they found my podcast and they're at a place where they're not in an addictive relationship and so they're like more open to hearing it. And what I was getting for a while before I specifically started to say on my website, I work with people individually, is I would have people call and say, hey, I really want to do couples um, because I'm in this relationship and I feel like um, some bad things are happening, but it's, they want to come to me so that I can fix him or her for that person to start to give them what they want. And it's, it's never been about them. Again, it's a symptom. It's that, that person, if they changed tomorrow and became your prince or your princess that you've been waiting for, you would not feel happy because it, it's never been about them. It's about you. I mean, the same responses that we've learned growing up to help us self-soothe from negative events, they get triggered whenever trauma happens. So, for example, and I guess the best way I can answer is to talk a little bit about my story. One of the main um, triggers that really brought to light that I had a problem was the death of my mother. And so before that, I was already doing things to kind of self-soothe, um, a lot of porn, a lot of fantasy, a lot of um, unhealthy partnerships. But then when my mother died, um, all that stuff kicked into high gear. Um, and it got really um, intense. And um, I also added a lot more other addictions on top of it to the point to where my therapist, like, I think you need to check out, at that point it was a sex addiction meeting. And I was like, I don't want to go there because there's going to be a lot of people in trench coats and all that. But all that to say, you know, I had already had roots of unhealthy coping skills 
I just got, there was a higher need for me to do more of them. So that's what my body did. That's what my brain did. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, just being very transparent, it does, uh, help me uh, to understand a bit, um, you know, as to why you're so passionate about this line of work. Um, and because it's mm-hmm. something that people don't usually talk about a lot, like maybe it's just me, but I've hear a lot of people talking about like drug and like substance abuse or like, you know, alcohol. Like I hear them talking about that, but it's very rare that I hear anyone talking about love addiction or sex addiction and codependency. And so I, you know, really think this is amazing, you know, the work that you're doing to one, educate people on, because a lot of people may not even know that this actually even exists, that this is actually a real thing. And so by actually shedding light, by, you know, talking about it, that can, you know, allow people to even do some um, self-check-in with themselves as it pertains to relationships and intimacy, which is, which when you think about, you know, we're all at some point of our lives are involved in a relationship with a significant other, or if we aren't currently, uh, whether it's through just boyfriend and girlfriend or, you know, whatever a person's preferences or even marriage. And it really does cause you to just kind of be a bit more self-aware and even talking about like types of treatments that are available for addictive relationships and, you know, codependency and sex addiction. How do you work with your clients to help them in the recovery process and what have you found to be the most effective? Mm, Great question. Yeah, well, just real quick for, you know, I just wanted to say I can't tell you the reasons why I'm so passionate about this. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a phone call or email or a new client that was like, I am so happy that I found you, that I found this because I thought I was going crazy because I would go to other counselors or other people who would either tell me that I don't have a problem or I wouldn't feel safe or comfortable talking about this and um, just to feel validated and to feel like it's real is so important, especially in the addiction community because something else that I've seen is someone will get sober from, from drug addiction and they'll and if they have a therapist who's aware of this and they ask about how they're dating and other relationships are and they find out, yeah, they've slept with half the people in the fellowship and they're like going out and having one night stands very frequently with people that they don't want to be with, then they're using people, they're using sex in the same way they used their drug before. And so that needs to be addressed. So yeah, my mission is definitely for people to to be aware that this happens and also it's so normalized in our in our culture to hear like just it's normalized that you know crazy ex-girlfriends and crazy guys and being hung up and it's in our songs and it's in our culture like we're supposed to be in these really dysfunctional relationships because that's just a part of growing up it's just part of coming of age and it's and it's not it doesn't have to be right um so we have a lot of people suffering when they don't need to but as far as treatment the first thing that I do is we come in, we talk about what's been going on, we talk about kind of normalizing what's happening and that taking away the shame of it, that you're not a disgusting person, that you're not a horrible person, especially if, especially the way that you've been, I say, acting out is you've been with men or women who are in committed relationships and you've been like the other person, kind of like you're doing this because you have unmet needs and you have hurts. And so we talk about that. We get into family history um, and where this starts because something I haven't mentioned before is when you are a sex addict or a love addict, there's usually a type that you're attracted to. And the type that you're attracted to is usually a representation, a symbol, 
of a caregiver or a person before that you didn't get that attachment and love for them, uh, from. And so that's why you might hear people say, well, I broke up with this one guy and I dated this other guy who I thought was completely different, you know, like they might be different races, different careers and everything else, but they have the same underlying quality. And so we do a family history and intake and look at also the connection to your partners and see what the similarities are, see how you're trying to get this person to remedy and fix uh, what you were looking for before. And then we start to look at, well, how do we give this to yourself? You know, if you were looking for someone to validate that you were good enough because your father wasn't there and he abandoned you and you're looking for this man to do this for you, and you chose a man who was a workaholic, you chose a man who had, who was like maybe even a pastor, like maybe someone doing like really great things, but they're not there and emotionally available for you. Why are you picking men who, who by their nature can't give you that for, and you're settling? And so we kind of look at that and we look at why you're choosing that and let's look at choosing things that actually help you and let's look at ways of how you can start to give yourself that affirmation because even in healthy relationships, that person you're with will never, ever, ever be able to fulfill you, right, because they're humans. Um, We're all flesh, right? And so Mm -hmm. learning how to be our own best friends and learn how to love ourselves and then everything else is a cherry on top. Um, And then also something I forgot that we do is we look at the cross addictions. So sex and love addiction never um, operate by themselves. It's, it's always kind of like a whack-a-mole. So if I stop doing one thing, then something else pops up. So I stopped doing one thing and now all of a sudden I really want to eat a lot. Or now I really have this desire to go out and drink and party a lot. Or now I really like, I'm going to dive into my career and be super successful and I'm working 12, 13 hours a day, you know, but it's all trying to mask this thing underneath. So we put that on the list so that when it pops up, we can say, oh, I think this is more of your addiction. Let's, let's look at how to temper this and get you to be in your body but still do the thing that you love before it to not really take over. Mm, yeah. You know what? And I think about, and I talked about this on the podcast for how prior to my diagnosis, I looking back, I consider myself to be like a bit of a workaholic and doing a lot for me uh, not to deal with some childhood trauma. And mm-hmm. when I looked at it and once I, you know, was in therapy, I was like, oh, this is why I do 50,000 things because I don't want to deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a way of keeping myself safe. But at the same time, the negative effects of that is burnout, you know, depression. And so I think that is it is truly important for people. That's why I'm always advocating for therapy, because it gives you a sense of self-awareness that you would not be able to a lot of times figure out on your own. That's not to say that you can't, but as you know, mental health professionals are trained to look at things in a very objective way. And the people who you are connected to, they have a very biased way of looking at you because they care about you. They love you. But when you're working with someone in therapy, these are things that can be brought to the the forefront and that will allow you to have a healthy relationship with yourself and other people. And so I was really glad that you um, talked about that. And even going into a bit of talking about a project that you're working on, the Black Girls Heal Project, can you um, tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. So when I first started, my original goal was to create a course to help with love addiction, which is still in process. But just as I've treated people, I just saw that, you know, of course, like I mentioned, childhood trauma is underneath all of this. 
and there's not really any resources for it, especially nothing that talks about the cross-intersection of not just quote-unquote normal childhood trauma like sex sex abuse or um, emotional abuse or verbal abuse or emotional incest or any of those things. Also, the effect that criminalization has on us as young black women and and racism and colorism and all these things that really affect how we see ourselves and they get ingrained and embedded in who we are. And so I created a program. I kind of put the course for love addiction on the side and I've been really trying to invest in building, not trying, I am investing, and building this curriculum and course called Black Girls Heal, which is an online trauma recovery school to help women of color heal from all the things that I've just mentioned and teaching you skills to use to self-soothe. And it's also a live coaching program where you are like putting in assignments and I'm responding and we're doing this all together. I'm really excited as I'm building the program. Oh, and I'm also teaching you grounding techniques. And, and the goal is um, to heal for it to be accessible because I know a lot of times what, I, what I've heard is it's hard to find another therapist of color in your area. It's also hard um, when you find someone, even if he or she is trained, and everything that I do and everything that I've mentioned, there's something about being with someone who gets it where you don't have to explain, you don't have to worry about microaggressions or any of the things that hurt us consistently. So hoping for it to be an online coaching program for women who don't have access to that or can't find a practitioner to start to get the healing they need now to either supplement the therapy they're already getting or to get them started while they're still looking for that person. That's awesome. That's amazing. I'll be sure to leave the website for the Black Girls Heal Project in the show notes so people can refer back to it. And even you kind of went ahead of a bit for the next question I was going to ask about resources for like sex and love addiction and I know you said that it's also very limited but what resources are um are out there that people can start to tap into in addition to therapy would you happen to know any of those that you can share yeah yeah absolutely so one that is free is all the 12-step meetings. Um, I didn't mention that I really am an advocate for 12-step. I know that there are some people who don't like it, which is fine. But if you if you can go and find a meeting, I really support that. So I would really suggest that folks go to a Sex and Love Addict Anonymous meeting. And so they can find a meeting in their area by going to slaa-fsandfrankws.org. And literally, there's um, meetings for sex and love addicts all over the entire world um, in every language. And there's also phone and internet meetings in case you can't find one. What I would say if there's one in your area or if there's a fellowship in your area, it's called Fellowship to Groups and Meetings. And if there's like three for women and then there's four for men, for you to try all of them because they all kind of have their different flavors and their different personalities. So you can go to one and hate it and go to the next one and really love the people who are there. In case you go there and it is not your jam, I would I, I want to plug myself <laughs> because mm-hmm. I have my podcast, which is called Love Junkie, where I really do try to give tips and resources for folks to start their recovery journey and then the freedom course which will be attached to it which is specifically about love addiction regarding books that i really love for love addiction there's one called facing love addiction by pia melody which is wonderful there's another book called attached by amir levine which talks about different ways that we attach to people so how we we might attach and some people might call it being clingy but the reasons why we are 
can be very needy, which is also a, an anxious attachment. And then talk about the ways why we could be with someone and then get sick of them really quickly more than we wanted to. And we're like, this keeps happening. Like, I can't find the right person. Maybe it's me. Maybe you're love avoidant. And this book talks about that as well and practical things you can do. Those are the two off the top of my head for sex and love addiction. Also, in case you're listening and you know, as I started to talk about love addiction, you kind of phased out because the sex addiction was more intriguing to you. Like you're thinking, like, I really do. For me, it really is about the act. Like I care, could care less about attaching to people and actually I kind of use people more than I actually care about them loving me or being there for me. If that's the case, then I would suggest you check out a sex addict anonymous meeting. Let's see how that feels. If you go into these meetings, people are really afraid, again, of seeing someone who's like a pedophile with a trench coat and like a handlebar mustache, and that's not what this is. You go into this meeting, and there are nurses, there are doctors, there are stay-at-home moms because, again, the addiction is just a symptom. Normal people deal with this all the time, and there's help and healing for you. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you even put your plug in because I was going to ask next about the Love Junkie podcast and what made you uh, birth the podcast. So now you can have, you can dive in more about it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, great. (laughs) So, yeah, I started the podcast because there really wasn't a voice for um, sex and love addiction. And at least not a podcast at the time that I found. I've since discovered that there are others. But what I really love about mine is that I decided at first I was talking to everybody and I was focusing just on sex addiction and now I'm really zeroing in on trying to serve women specifically and have topics that address them because just like in all of our society, you know, the groups of power, the groups of privilege are the ones who are focused on. So in the sex sex addiction community, sex addiction is prioritized because that is what men struggle with a lot more often, or at least that's what's focused on more than love addiction with men. And so a lot of materials are written in a way to where women are not um, included or addressed. And so I created that for that. I have been also wanting to create resources for people of color, for um, men and women, not just women, because there really isn't anything for us regarding sex and love addiction, because a lot of the treatment models are great on paper, but they don't really apply or don't really translate very well. So I've been working on adjusting that. As far as, can I talk a little bit about the course? Sure. Yeah. So the course is kind of the same mission as the Black Girls Heal program in that trying to give people something that's accessible and something that will help them. I just, even now as a therapist, I feel like I'm trying to piecemeal things together, you know, pull a little bit from this place and pull a little bit from this place. And there's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of financial barriers where you have to pay a lot of money to get access to help for this. There's a lot of just finding people who are reputable and helping with this, trying to get away from all the bias with the stigma that I talked about a little bit at the beginning of the program. And so the goal of the course is to create something that is accessible to folks, is understandable, and that they can use now to start to break free from love addiction. And so that's called the Freedom Course, and hopefully that will be launching soon as well. That is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Like, I truly enjoy just having this conversation with you because I know that it will truly help someone and just even educate people overall And that, you know, we are very mindful about the things that we say to people because we don't know if it could be triggering. Um, And and I think by educating people on what those things are, people will be a bit more, um, have 
be able to be a bit more compassionate and understanding. And so if someone would like to learn more about you and your services, how can they reach you? you can, and I'll also be sure to leave that information in the show notes as well. Both can find me at SheenaTheTherapist.com. And my name is spelled with one E. And um, there there's access to the course and to the Love Junkie podcast. Um, Love Junkie is on iTunes and Spotify and all those things. For social media, you can find me on Instagram at Sheena the Therapist. On Facebook, if you search my full name, Sheena Tubbs, I will come up. And on Twitter, my um, handle is Sheena Therapy. And, of course, the Black Girl Teal website is blackgirlteal.org. And there's coloring book pages depicting um, women of color um, and just to help with, like, mindfulness and relaxation. And just one more thing about, you know, combating the stigma and having compassion for folks. If someone's listening, and this is interesting, but you can't really relate to it, but you can think of, people in your life who are like, oh, such and such definitely needs to hear this podcast episode. In addition to sharing this, um, on my podcast, Love Junkie, there's an episode called A Letter to the Love Addicts. And I would really suggest that you share that specific episode with him or her um, to help them get some relief and validation. And um, also just to be mindful that if you have a person in your life who can't let go of this relationship and you're like, sick of it because they keep going back yeah empathy is great but definitely getting them to therapy because they're not going to be able to do this alone oh well that is it thank you so much sheena for joining me on the podcast you're welcome thanks for having me it's been great this week's therapist shout out is sala wellness and therapeutic services so this practice is actually located in largo maryland And the therapist whose practice this is, is Sharon Lawrence. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and she actually is the therapist for therapists. Her passion is really to improve the lives of clinicians and professionals who manage the day-to-day responsibility for caring for others. And I think this is really great because I've never heard um, of a therapist actually specializing and therapy for therapists because a lot of times when therapists are sitting in their office they can experience secondary what they call secondary trauma and we think a lot of times because they're therapists that oh they're fine you know they they got it all together but at the end of the day therapists are people just like us and so she works with therapists because it has been proven that you know Having this type of care can really produce, again, secondary trauma. In addition to really discovering and revealing past trauma and mental health challenges. So therapists are not immune to having, a you know, a mental illness. They could have also experienced trauma. Um, and so just really just helping them to stay ahead of their mental health because therapists at least all the therapists I've met and I know they're very selfless people. They're given of their time. They want to make sure that their clients are doing well, that their clients are doing okay. And even if therapists don't have a mental illness or let's say maybe they haven't experienced a direct trauma, it's just really good to make sure that they're just simply taking care of themselves. And so, like I said, therapists, um, I mean, therapy is not just for people with the mental illness. You can go and get, um, 
Make sure you have healthy coping strategies. Just really make sure that you're taking care of yourself. And so I just wanted to take this time to really shout out Miss Sharon Lawrence. Um, her practice, Sela Wellness and Therapeutic Services, they are also the sponsor for, well, one of the sponsors for Save Our Babies. And I want to thank her for her contribution and really believing in the vision. So if you are in the DMV area and if you're a therapist who listens to this podcast and you are looking for a therapist, then y'all need to go see Miss Sharon over in Largo. Of course, y'all know that I will leave the website and information for Sela Wellness and Therapeutic Services in the show notes. So please refer back to it and click on the link and let Sharon of Sela Wellness and Therapeutic Services know that Kia of the Fireflies Unite podcast sent you over. So for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, I know you all heard it at the top of the show before the intro, but I wanted to really encourage you to please come out. If you are in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, please come out to Fireflies Unite first event entitled Save Our Babies, a heart-to-heart about suicide and mental health for children of color. This is an event that I am not only excited about, but I'm overwhelmed just really with emotion because While I'm excited to have my first event, this is also a very tough and challenging topic for people to talk about, especially when you want to talk about children. Children are so young. They're eight years old, five years old, 10 years old, and ending their lives. And it's something that we have to talk about. And so the event will take place July 21st from 11 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. at the South Bowie Library, on July 21st. If you are a teacher, if you are anyone who works with children, if you are a parent, if you are a aunt or an uncle, uh, there will be mental health professionals there. There will be a mom there talking about how she lost her son to suicide and how she's working toward healing. And so this event, you do not want to miss it. You will really Leave the event equipped with tools on how to identify signs and leave with resources on what to do if you find a child in this situation. I look forward to meeting you all. I look forward to coming out. Please share the information on social media. The hashtag that we're using is hashtag save our babies. And for more information, again, and to get your tickets, I'll be sure to leave the link in the show notes. So y'all, that wraps up another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast. I want to thank Sheena. She's an amazing therapist in doing work on something that not a lot of people actually really want to talk about um, and really talking about these things that actually really do exist. Codependency, addictive relationships, sex addiction, And I really think this is amazing work because a lot of times we want to shun people. I know we often use the terminology thought, um, that's translation, a whore or a hoe, whatever, you know, the term you want to use. But sometimes the things that 
we do male or female even though for men they get praised for how many women they sleep with or do wrong but it can really be rooted in trauma and hurt and so I really want to thank Sheena here if you have listened to the podcast and you know someone or if this is you actually struggling with this I hope that listening to this episode really encouraged you to reach out and seek a therapist and reach out for resources if you uh, need some resources there will be some left in the show notes for you please check out sheena's podcast the love junkie podcast because she dives into all of that that is her specialty and i'm just really grateful that i had the opportunity to talk to her y'all I'm just trying to think. I have more announcements. We're not going to talk about Save Our Babies no more because y'all probably Save Our Babies like laid out like, okay, Kia, we get it. But y'all, I need y'all there. I want to meet as many of y'all as possible. Um, If you can't attend but you would like to purchase a ticket for someone else, feel free to do that and bless someone else who would like to go to the event but they can't afford it. The tickets are $15.00 flat for anyone whether you are a student or um, a parent there's there aren't different rates the tickets are just $15 for everyone and so I look forward to seeing y'all there also I have more I have another announcement but I'm gonna brace y'all I'm gonna ease y'all into this so I'm really excited about all the work that is happening Things are ramping up. I know a lot of times people slow things down for the summer, but y'all, nah, I'm not slowing it down. It's getting super busy over here, and I'm doing my best to find balance because things are really ramping up. I'm so grateful to be doing this work. It is so fulfilling. I can't really put it into words, but doing this work is so liberating, and I just truly look forward to the growth, and I look forward to really helping people to start to heal and speaking more and writing more and just doing so many so many amazing things that are in the works and I cannot wait to share with I cannot wait to share it with you all so y'all know what I'm always sending y'all I'm sending you positive vibes many blessings you all have a blessed week I'll talk to you all next week and thank you so much for listening I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health, but please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.